And I asked Chad one time, after this had happened many times, I asked Chad one time, does this ever happen to you? Do you ever have this crisis, you know, before you're going to teach? And he said, oh yeah, all the time. And I said, well, when does it happen? Because for me, it's a couple of hours before I'm going to do it. And he says, usually right in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> so all that said, my intent tonight, when I set out, my intent is to encourage us, to build us up, and to hopefully set a tone of expectancy for the week. Am I too close to it? It's never used. And hopefully set a tone of expectancy for the weekend. And I want to start by having us turn to Acts 2. I have a series of four verses there. And I'm going to read them because I think it's important for us to have our, our minds in these verses, to have them available to us as I go throughout the talk. So I'm going to start with Acts 2, 42 to 47, and then go to the others that are in your notes. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then 4, 32 to 37, actually just through 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were, as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And then 5, 12 to 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And then finally, 6-7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I always find that last one pretty interesting because for the priests to become obedient to the faith, they would have had to have given up their post. They really no longer could have been priests in that sense uh, if they were following Jesus. They would have had to have given up their livelihood. 
So I read these because I think it's important for us to have them in mind as we go throughout, not just tonight, but also the weekend. We want to have a keen sense of what it might have been like to be there with the early church. What are three or four words, just shout out three or four words that kind of summarize the feeling that you get from those passages? You can just call it out. Unity. Okay, unity is one. What else? Okay, the Holy Spirit. Daily activity. activity. Multiplied. Multiplied. All right. Harmony, love, perfection, the church at its best might be some others that you might think of. And I want to suggest that this is an Exodus story. That's a word that I'd like to add to it is Exodus. It's an Exodus story. And Luke describes the early church as an Exodus people as an Exodus people. And I think there's a couple of clues to this. So the first one, just a couple of of clues that kind of trigger the thoughts of Exodus from the book of Exodus. The first is that Luke says that the believers had favor with all the people and that the people held them in high esteem. And for me, this is a strong echo in Exodus 12 as the people are, are eating in haste and getting ready to leave. It says, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor inside of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. So just as the Israelites had favor with the Egyptians, the new believers had favor with the people. And also they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Remember that the Israelites, after their exodus out of Egypt, they did not eat with glad and generous hearts. They complained. They longed for a return to slavery so that they could return to their food. And that's why in Psalm 95, the Lord says, For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. But not these believers, not the ones that we read about in Acts. They're responding to their deliverance and their exodus with glad and generous hearts. So it's an exodus story of an exodus people. And when we read these passages in Acts, I think we get the sense of something like being in Eden in Genesis 1 and 2. The man and his wife in Genesis 2 were naked and they were not ashamed. There's the same vulnerability and openness and mutuality among the believers here. They have all things in common. They claim nothing as their own. They break bread together in homes. It's an intimate people. And this is something that is new in the world. It's something that hadn't existed in the world. And it's new. It's a new creation. And it makes me think of Lewis's The Magician's Nephew. If you've ever read The Magician's Nephew, you remember that Aslan creates Narnia through song. Is this me or is it this? Okay. Aslan creates... No, it's not. It's not It's Narnia through sound. 
try it again. Aslan creates Narnia through song. <clears throat> he sings Narnia into creation. And when he does, the ground is fertile. And things grow in the ground that aren't supposed to grow. So if you remember, the witch throws a broken piece of lamppost at Aslan and it, bounce off, it bounces off Aslan and it lands in the ground and a lamppost grows up out of the ground because that's what kind of ground Aslan has sung into creation. And later the kids take a piece of toffee and they plant it into the ground and up comes a toffee tree overnight. So the ground is fertile and generative and things grow in it that's not supposed to grow. Now what about these people in Acts? Remember, Peter says that this is the generation that had put Jesus to death. They're part of the crooked generation that's going to be punished. They're earthly and they're fleshly and they're unspiritual. Nothing good should grow out of this people, only rotten things. But once they've repented and once they've been baptized, and once they've made their exodus out of that crooked generation, there's something new in the world. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And they're a generative people. The fruit of the Spirit grows in them. Acts 6-7 says that the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. God had said in Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. And this is a generative people. Much is growing within the community. So what God had purposed for the human race in Genesis 1 and that got derailed in Genesis 3 is now, through Christ, fully back on track. And when we read these passages, we kind of get the sense of unfallen Eden. But you might be thinking, yes, that's true, and it is a beautiful picture. But it was also a long time ago. Those things happened a long time ago. And the church is so different now. For one thing, Christianity is global. In the early church, they were all together in one place. But today we see just the smallest fraction of living Christians on the planet, let alone all the Christians who have ever lived in history. And they were all together having all things in common. But now there are more than 200 denominations in this country alone. And I read over 45,000 denominations throughout the whole world. That's not unity. In C.S. Lewis's vision, that's hell. In the great divorce, hell is a place where people quarrel and divide and move farther and farther away from each other. And hell is this ever-expanding place of division. So however we might think of it, we read these passages in Acts and we draw a straight line from there to our day with all of its complicated church history in between. And some of us sometimes sense a kind of fall. Maybe you can relate to that. That things aren't as good now with the church as they were then. And it's possible to read these passages and acts and wonder, have we lost contact with the power and presence of God that was so pervasive in the early church? Have we lost contact with that? And I just want to let that question linger out there for a little bit before I come back to it. And I want to talk about a Greek poet named Hesiod. Hesiod lived about 600 BC. He was a, a precursor of Homer or maybe a contemporary of Homer. 
And around 600 BC, Hesiod looked out, he looked around him, and he saw nothing but toil and misery and violence. He saw constant strife, even in families. No one cared for their neighbor, and bad men used lies and violence to get what they wanted. And he wrote a poem called Works and Days, and in it he outlines four ages of man. And it starts with the Golden Age. And he talks about the Golden Age as a time when humans lived among the gods and mingled with them. And there was food in abundance and humans lived to very, very old ages. And they died in peace. And men were upright and good and they were noble in the Golden Age. And that was followed by a Silver Age. And in the Silver Age, people still lived to old age, but they also began fighting with one another. And in the Silver Age, it was the first time that people refused to worship the gods. And then after the Silver Age was the Bronze Age. And in the Bronze Age, men are toughened and they're hardened and they're made for war. And men are repeatedly undone by their violent ways. And then finally, there was the Iron Age. And the Iron Age is when Hesiod lived. And he looks around and he just sees nothing but violence and cruelty and badness. And he says that at the height of the Iron Age, babies will be born with gray hair. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that be awful? Babies born with gray hair. And the gods will have completely forsaken humanity and there will be no help against evil. And so Hesiod looks around him and he can only see how far humanity has fallen. And he doesn't see things getting any better. And I want to suggest I know for myself, and maybe for you, that sometimes it can be easy to fall into a four ages kind of thinking about the church. That things were better then, whatever then was, than they are now. I took a class at Asbury a couple of weeks ago. I was an auditor for the class because I didn't want to do any of the work. I just wanted to go over here. But there were real students in the class too. And during discussion times, I kept hearing a, a refrain that took a couple different forms. And people would say, you know, the problem with the church today is, or they would say, the church just needs to blank. Or this is what's wrong with the church. And I don't denigrate them. I've done that myself. I've said that, those kind of things many times. But I recognize that it's very easy to fall into a four ages kind of thinking about the church and about many other things in our lives. But I mainly want to talk about the church. Like Hesiod, we can look at the state of Christianity in our country and think, wow, how far we've fallen from whatever point in the past you choose to have, that we have fallen from. And that's why one of my favorite verses in scripture is Ecclesiastes 3.11. And I trot it out every chance I get. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. People can't see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Our vision is very limited. We can't see around corners. We can't see from the beginning to end of things. We don't have the macro vision to say what kind of age we live in or if we've fallen. And it's not just true for thinking about the capital C church, but it, 
We can also fall into that kind of thinking for our own churches. <clears throat> we can engage in four ages kind of thinking about our own churches. Some of you have been in a CF church for a long time. Raise your hand if you've been in a CF church for over 30 years. Okay, that's quite a few. Over 20. You know, back then we were all one church. We were one church. And it would be good for you to ask yourself how you think of the church then and how you think of the church now. There are a lot of things that are different, but how do you perceive and label the differences between how the church was then and how the church is now? Some of you are relatively new. How many of you are here for the first time in a 2020 retreat? All right, a couple here in the front. How many of you have been here, uh, have come in in the last five years or so? Okay. How do you see the church? How do you see our churches? Hopefully, it's like being in Eden or Narnia. Hopefully, things are fertile and growing and there's lots of life. But in time, you need to be on your guard against how you perceive the inevitable changes that are going to come because change always comes. Now, going back to the beginning of my talk, I said that my intention was to build us up and to encourage us and to set a tone of expectancy for the weekend. And I intend to do that, and that's why I designed this talk as a chiasm. So if you look at your notes, you'll see in the outline that I've arranged this as a chiasm, and a chiasm is an out and back structure. It's a literary structure. And ancient writers used to use it all the time. Chiasms are all over the Bible. And there were ways of layering meaning there are ways for an author to communicate meaning in layers. And so if you look, the top line corresponds to the bottom line. And the second from the top corresponds to the second from the bottom and so on. And the way chiasms work is that the middle part kind of contains the central thrust of what somebody wanted to say. That's where you get the primary point. And everything in my talk so far is built toward naming this sense that you may have from time to time about where the church is now compared to what we read in the early chapters of Acts. A sense of fall or a sense of having lost a golden age. And maybe living in an iron age with assaults from the outside and division within. Well, in the rest of the time that I have, I want to get on the other side of the chiasm. And there are two main points that I want to make on this side. And the first one is that we can tend to underestimate the power of God. We underestimate the power of God. We underestimate the strength that God gives something in its beginning. When God is starting something. His initiating power. When God gives life to something, it runs on power that we can't fully fathom. And we don't fully know its limits. Even if we think we do. We don't know the limits to God's power when he starts something. Look at the lifespans in Genesis 5. Beginning with Adam, there's 10 generations in Genesis 5. And they all live to be super old. Even after being expelled out of the garden, they all live to incredibly old ages. And I won't read the whole passage, but Adam lives to be 930 years. And then there's 912, 905, 895. 962, 
365, but that's Enoch, and he was taken by God, and he didn't really die. 969, 777, and then 950 for Noah. Why did these people live for so long? Well, God breathed his breath of life into Adam's nostrils, and it says that he became a living soul. And even after he was expelled out of the garden, he was still a living soul. And God's breath of life is so powerful that nine generations after Adam live for centuries. And not until Genesis 6 does God declare, My spirit will not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. So God intervenes to limit the long lifespans that his own breath causes. In a sense, God stops himself, limits himself. When God starts something, he designs it to endure. He designs it to go on. I think about our cosmos. I think about this planet. Who knows how long this planet is going to go? God built it. Why should we expect that it's going to be obsolete and that it's just going to wear out? And I'm not saying that our world's going to be here in a million years from now. But if God made it, why could it not be? I also think of the Jewish people, ethnic descendants of Abraham. In 2020, it was estimated that there were 15 million Jews worldwide. Remember, Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was in her 90s when they gave birth to Isaac. And that was the work of God. And the people that came from Abraham's loins are still with us today. Still with us today. Think of how many civilizations, think of how many nations Peoples, languages, and tribes have come and gone in that time and are no longer around. The Jewish people are still with us today. God does not start stuff and then abandon it because he gets bored with it and doesn't want to do it anymore. We do that. We do that all the time. You probably have sheds full of stuff that you started and then got bored with and then put aside. But God doesn't do that. It would have been the easiest thing in the world after Adam and Eve sinned for God to just crumple up the world and throw it away. He, he didn't need it. He wouldn't have missed it. He could have made 20 more that afternoon. Instead, he continued his plan to have fellowship with his human creatures because that had been his design from the outset. After Adam and Eve sinned and were exiled from the garden, cherubim with a, flaming store, with a flaming sword guarded the way back in. And this points ahead to the offering system in Leviticus. Why was the offering system in place at all? Well, people wanted to get back into fellowship with God. But getting back meant death because of God's holiness. So God provided a substitute God provided a way for people to still come into his presence. If you tried to get by the cherubim to get back into the garden, you would get sliced up and you would get burned up. And that's what happens to the animal who goes in your place when you come to make your offering. The animal is slaughtered and is offered in fire and ascends as smoke into God's presence as a pleasing aroma. The animal goes where you can't go. You enter the presence of God through a substitute who suffers death on your behalf. And it's God's initiative 
that makes this possible. Isn't that amazing? Maybe that will give some life when you read the first five chapters of Leviticus and you're just like, oh, where are we reading this? God doesn't quit things that he started. He doesn't abandon them and he doesn't watch them just crumble into decay. There is no four ages when it comes to the church. Because when God begins something, he imbues it with power that's beyond our comprehension. It's all golden age, even if it doesn't always feel that way to us. Remember Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And then here's the second point that I want to make, and it's the point that I really want to drive home tonight. We have the exact same Holy Spirit that the early church had. We have the exact same Holy Spirit that the church in Acts had. The same Spirit that enlivened the early church and gave it powerful witness and deep fellowship is activating and empowering us right now. We don't have an Iron Age Holy Spirit that's just a shadow of the Golden Age Holy Spirit. We don't have the light version of the Holy Spirit with in-app purchases. What we read in Acts, life in common, powerful testimony, signs and wonders, the same spirit that did that empowers us today. And this is where I get the title, objects in the text are closer than they appear. It often feels very far away when we read those chapters of Acts, but it's closer than it appears because we have the same spirit. It's not a distant age, and time hasn't robbed the spirit of his power. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it says in Hebrews. And it also says in Hebrews that Jesus offered himself to God through the eternal spirit. The spirit is with us now. And that spirit is leading us in our own Exodus story. Peter said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Think of what we have been saved from. We've been saved from sin. We've been saved from hell. That's true. And I want you to consider some other things that we've been saved from. We've been saved from fear of death. Hebrews says that the devil had enslaved us through fear of death. Well, not anymore. And I think of the last verse in in Christ alone. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. We have been saved out of a fear of death by the one who triumphed over death. We've been saved out of loneliness and isolation. A lot of relationships in our world have moved into the online sphere. I think of UK students, as I work at UK, I think of students who walk back and forth with earbuds in, they don't really talk to anybody, and then they go back to their room where they close the door and they don't really interact with others. And they're afflicted by loneliness and isolation and they don't know what to do about it. And there are many such people in our lives, not just students. But through faith in Christ, we're welcomed into a family. We're welcomed into a community. We have togetherness. We have one anotherness. And that's a new experience for a lot of people. We're also saved from fear of the future. We don't have to fear the future. Now, this is something I shared with TCF last week. 
Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and so we don't need to fear the future. He's the true king, the king of kings. There is no one higher in authority than Jesus Christ, not in any square inch of what is real. And we're gathered in the name of the true king every time we come together, the name above all names. And so if you're ever worried about the way that the world is going, if you ever read the news and think everything is just falling apart, you must continually turn your mind to the glorious truth that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He is at the helm of the cosmos. There is no higher name. He is fully in charge and he is fully capable. The good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep is the one who is at the helm of the cosmos. Praise God. And if you do that, if you turn your mind in that direction, you'll be able to face troubling news and those who trouble us without fear. We are an Exodus people with an Exodus story. And I think of this in terms of evangelism, too, because a lot of people today don't have much of a conception of sin or guilt. And a lot of the evangelistic strategies that used to have an impact are less likely to have an impact these days because people just don't have a conception of sin or guilt. It's kind of been um, eradicated out of, their, out of their mind. They've been told that's just, you know, it's just stuff that religious people make up. So traditional evangelistic approaches may not have as much impact as they used to, but almost all people have a fear of death. Almost all people who don't believe in Jesus have a fear of death. Almost all people have isolation and loneliness. And our constant in-your-face news cycle stokes fear of the future. And a lot of people have that fear. And we can invite them to make an exodus from this crooked generation by putting their trust in Jesus. As Sancho Panza says in Don Quixote, Make yourself into honey and the flies will eat you up. It doesn't have anything to do with anything, but Adam said he'd give me 20 bucks if I snuck a Sancho Panza quote into the talk. And I figured that was as good a place to do it as any. So to close, I want to revisit Acts 2, 42 to 47. In light of the fact that we have the same spirit today that that church had. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I could walk through each of those verses and show how we are doing today what the early church was doing then. In fact, I did that. And then this afternoon was having my crisis. I tore that page out. But I think it would be better to end with a story about somebody who's relatively new to our church. His name is Bill Worrell. He is 87 years old. He's a member of Anchor, but he likes to come on Friday nights and be with us. So he's still a member at Anchor, and his pastor has given him blessing to come and join us on Friday nights. His wife died a year ago. I think they were married 66 years. She died a year ago. He came for the first time in December. 
And two weeks ago, we had our testimony night and people got up and shared things that God was doing. And Bill got up and came forward and shared. And he said, the first time I came in, I felt the love that this place has. This is the most loving fellowship I've ever been in. I don't know people. Doesn't make any difference. They come up, they hug me, they love me. That's our life together. And that's a powerful continuation of the same life-giving spirit that came upon the Church of Pentecost. May the Lord add to our number. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. I'm glad that you ended with that testimony. Uh, I was just sitting there jotting down things that, uh, that in my heart were really positive about what's going on. And I want to share a couple of those. But uh, while I share these, uh, you'd be thinking in your experience, in your church, uh, there might be two or three things that would be encouraging to everyone. Um, I stay pretty encouraged. I live in prayer. And so I see what I believe uh, God is doing and is going to do. And it doesn't matter to me if everything's falling around, falling apart around me. I just kind of live there. When, it, when, I, when I get frustrated, I just go away and I just live in that place where I see the path of the righteous, you know, brighter and brighter to the full day. Uh, <clears throat> but then when you come back into the reality of the fight, uh, it, can, it can really be grueling. So um, let me share a couple of things that might encourage you. And uh, then uh, if there's any other testimonies, Chad, Ben, or, or any of them, we're all leaders here, um, come up and uh, just take the mic and, and encourage everybody with what's going on. But I was just taking a pen to at least what I know about growth. And I think there are about 30 or 40 new people in the church, uh, at least, uh, since last year. Uh, that's enough for a church plant. One of the things that Chad, Ben, and I have talked about is the next plant that we do, uh, we're going to open it up to all the churches, and there may be a couple of giftings from uh, a church or two that can help that plant. And so we grew by one church plant last year. We just don't have a pastor yet. And uh, one of the things about our church growth, you know, in the very beginning, it, a lot of it was just new salvations, people coming and being discipled for the first time. Uh, in this last last little period it's been a lot of people who have just kind of been caught up in sort of uh, they're kind of frustrated that they don't live in a place where there's vital connection and relationship and uh, and we find them or they find us um, I hope that our church never grows more by that situation than by people coming to Jesus for the first time but I'm glad that we can be a harbor of safety and peace uh, for people who, who need to find a place. So we grew by one church last year. Um, the second thing, and uh, I, I, I sort of uh, alluded to it in the beginning, is we live in a vision that God gave us that uh, the whole earth is going to be filled with his glory that we understand that the church is alive and well, and we are running into it in other churches around the city. 
uh, as I get together with other pastors, many of the things that we've held dear over the years are beginning to flourish in other congregations. And when I first started going to pastors' meetings and telling them who we were and what we did and what was important to us, they they were like, yeah, I wonder how I could do that. Uh, And they were kind of stuck in a system that wouldn't let them do it. But somehow God's Spirit is, is giving churches in our city the ability to transition and to become relational, become passionate, and become focused on, on the kingdom of God rather than being shaped and formed uh, by the culture. I think COVID may have had something to do with it. Uh, a lot of guys lost about 30% of their church, and they are so excited. Uh, I was talking to one pastor from Indianapolis Uh, oh, this is tape. I can't say it. Anyway, in town, there's a lot of guys that lost uh, uh, about a third of their congregation. And somehow, those were the people that were trying to hold on uh, to a way of doing church that didn't happen. So not only have we grown by finding some people that needed uh, to give expression to the things that God had put in their heart, but the things that we hold dear that have been unique to us, I hate to tell you folks, But it's not as unique as it used to be. God is moving beyond the boundaries of CF Church. And I'm so excited. The last thing I'd like to say is just simply this. If you will go through the Bible, here's what you're going to see. The path of the righteous shines brighter and brighter until the full day. And God made a promise to Moses, if these people... Don't want to follow me. That's okay. I'm not going to kill them. But I want you to know something. As surely as I live, the whole earth will be filled with my glory. Later on it was said, This gospel shall be preached in all the world, and then the end shall come. That word abides over the church of the living God. It's a trajectory to to, to the high zenith. And it's a trajectory to the whole earth being filled with the glory of God. That's what's going on. And we've got to live in that. So it's been a great year. Uh, COVID getting over and uh, sort of the winnowing that happened. And us kind of getting our feet under our, ourselves again. It's, it's great. It's been awesome. Um, and I'm sure there's some, uh, some other things like, uh, like Kelly shared there at the end. So does anybody have anything you want to share that was just encouraging to you over this year? Oh, God, I, I just want to pray for these people tonight, Lord. Get them out of the middle of the chiasm and push them back out to the ends. Thanks, hon. Um, I am just very blessed by the young families in our church, um, especially the women who I get to talk to. They're very holy women, and they really care about knowing God loving their husbands, training their children, and also sharing in their neighborhoods and at work. So one thing, when we started the church and we started discipling people, we just wanted to have the people we discipled go far beyond where we have gone, which to be honest, 
the people that started the church were, were kind of Don't a ragtag group of people. But, <laughs> but I am just so blessed um, that we have seen our children and other people that come into the church just go far beyond where we have even thought of going. <laughs> so that was very encouraging to me. She's talking about you all. <laughs> I, I, how about, can I get an amen from that table right back there? <laughs> Hallelujah. If we did the, the homework and listen to some of uh, Chad's teaching from last year, you'll, you'll hear in there that, you know, this time last year, TCF did a shakeup, right? We did a home group shakeup. And I think it's, so praiseworthy the growth we've seen from that that new couples and men have been united new people have been able to sharpen each other and that while change is difficult uh fruit came from it yeah and it's truly praiseworthy a year later that the growth has come from those home groups the serving the selfless nature the studying of the word uh, and his name has been praised on the lips of many new people together so we had a, a document from that in the homework and i was I was blessed by the ask to listen to it again, thinking a year later we're stronger because of that shakeup. So not to be afraid of that, but to be obedient in that. Yeah, yeah, good. Keep it coming. Dr. Senna. Oh, stand in line. Um, on the flip side of Bren what Brenda shared, I've just been so thankful for the older women in our church. Um, the way Brenda does care for us younger families and younger moms in particular. Uh, can you hear me? Um, That's good. That's right. um, so I'm just super thankful for the older women in our church. Um, we don't have, our kids don't have grandparents in town and so it always blesses me when uh, the older men and women pour into my kids. So Brenda had Bruce and Asa over earlier this week, and that just like really blessed me that she invited them over to her house, and um, they just, I don't know, they loved it, and it was just very precious to them and very precious to us. Um, but also just like, I get regular messages from Catherine John encouraging me to walk with Jesus in every step of motherhood and every phase of motherhood. Um, I get encouragements from Susan Vogel, and I just am, just blown away by how you ladies really pour into us moms, and I'm just very blessed by that. That's been a huge encouragement this year in particular for me. Thanks. And now we'll hear from the teacher of the year, Dr. <laughs> Ken Senna. Um, I just wanted to say, uh, just give a quick testimony of, um, I think in general, a general testimony and then a specific testimony. I think in general, God has really blessed me in my work in this year. And I've seen a lot of fruit in relationships with students where I feel like I'm able to invite students to my home. And um, we had students to Billy and Brenda's for lunch and Billy shared the gospel with them. I mean, I've just been really excited uh, by what God is doing. Um, but the specific testimony that I want to share is that I have a, most of my colleagues don't follow Jesus um, in my college. And um, I was kind of blown away one day when this one colleague who's like super doesn't follow Jesus. Um, 
brought a student over to my office and was like, hey, I just really wanted to introduce you to this student. She's a biology major, she was homeschooled. Um, and you know, I think that you would be a, like a great person for her to get to know. And then later she tells me, this student is feeling bullied in her classes for being a Christian. Um, this student does, you know, she's, and this, my, my colleague says, I can't mentor her in her faith. Um, and I know that you're a faithful scientist. And so I wanted to like connect her to you. And so I was just blown away by like, I just feel like I put my head down at work and just do my work and try to, you know, try to do my work well, and, but not like make too much of a stir, you know, like, um, and I was just blown away that this person who doesn't love God at all, like, was a, you know, was moved, I guess, by God, I don't know, like, how did, how did that happen, but was moved to bring the student to me, um, rather than pushing the student away from God, you know, she was um, moved to connect the student to me so that the student could be mentored in her faith, so, um, I don't know, I think God is doing something there, I think he's doing something in lots of places, and I'm, I'm, I've been really encouraged by that, so. I'm not exactly sure how to uh, describe the award you got. Could, could you just tell everybody what that is? Um, the Alumni Association gives a teaching award every, every year, and I got one of those this year. So. Yeah. So. Anybody else have something in your heart you want to encourage everybody with? My encouragement is to give testimony. Um, Kelly talked about our recent testimony night, and I confess, whenever we we've we I don't know we've been doing that for two or three years, and it's two or three times a year. We'll tell people ahead of time this night, you know, nobody, none of the leaders are sharing anything and, you know, we'll worship and if nobody shares, that's it. And every time I get nervous and this time Kelly's like, let's just not script it at all. Let's not ask for things ahead of time. You know, sometimes we screen it so people don't share crazy things. Anyway, (laughs) I... I was convicted because this last time it was the most encouraging ever. And it really convicted me that I'm not seeing things as they are if I'm not expecting those encouraging testimonies. Does that make sense? So I was just convicted for being nervous that there wouldn't be good things to share. Did you get convicted like four hours before? (laughs) (laughs) Brenda can attest to this. Right after Kelly said what he did, I wrote across the top of mine, my catastrophe happens in the middle of teaching. <laughs> and then he shared about what, what, what you said, Chad. How many new babies are represented just here? There's mamas with, with new babies. Would you raise your hand over this past year? Hallelujah. That's something to be thankful for. I 
I don't, I, I don't want to quit. It's, it's not that late. And uh, so, yeah, what did you say? Oh, Benjamin Leitch was baptized. Hallelujah. You know, uh, I, I wanted to take a minute tonight. I'm glad you said that. And just remind everybody uh, that we have really been blessed through the life of James Leitch. Uh, one of the things that we're talking about now is uh, redoing the foundations manual. And uh, one of the reasons that I've not jumped into doing it, um, I, I just didn't want to take Jimmy's name off of the foundations manual. So I don't know, maybe we can dedicate the new one to him or something, but, you know, honor him in some way. But, uh, you know, we, we, we don't want to forget those who've gone on before us. And uh, so it's, it's really exciting that, that God has been faithful to Benjamin and, uh, and brought him into the kingdom. Hallelujah. Thanks for sharing that. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, is that tonight? Yeah, come on and do it. Sure. <laughs> Did we write one? No, come on and do it then. Yeah, come on up. Come on, Matt. Come on up, Elder Matt. So, so I need all the ordained elders by a show of hands. Uh, I think Chad said it was boring to read them, uh, but somebody else said maybe we should. So uh, are we going to read them or not? We are going to read them. Raise your hand. We're not going to read them. Raise your hand. <laughs> all right. TCF will not be reading theirs this year, but uh, we're going to read ours because we're excited. Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody tricked me at my table. All right. Well, uh, and, and uh, yeah, as we think of encouragements, we're going to read our um, reports for the year. So I'm going to read the LCF report. During the social and religious upheaval of the 1970s, a small group of freshmen from several denominations started meeting at UK's Hagen Hall. Hagen Hall. The students had one desire, to know God intimately and make him known. Hungry for biblical community, they read the word closely and asked God to help them understand how to build his church in a way that would honor him. By 1980, these same students formed the first CF congregation, Lexington Christian Fellowship, with Billy Henderson as the pastor. Because of a deep commitment to church life, where every member plays a part, the original team decided to plan a new church each time a congregation reached 20 members. Or sorry, 200 <laughs> members. <laughs> church plants include Emmanuel Christian Fellowship, and Trinity Christian Fellowship in Lexington. Though the churches will always focus on ministry to college students, now at UK, BCTC, and Asbury, they also reach a greater portion of the body of Christ and the world. Central Kentucky's homeschool community benefits from Mars Hill, 
the CF Cooperative for middle and high schoolers. And outside the U.S., CF members serve their sister church, Ayutla Christian Fellowship in Mexico. As the churches grow and LCF prepares to plant a fourth congregation, their commitment to knowing God and building his church through love within and without the body of Christ remains central. Amen. How many of you all, this is your first, first time here. Would you stand up? This is your first time at a leader's retreat. You all remain standing until I'm finished with you. Uh, come on, Dan. Right. So uh, obviously you got here because uh, somebody brought you along as an assistant. Who was that? Schaefer. Hi, Schaefer. How are you? Schaefer, would you stand up? Obviously, you're here because somebody uh, came along beside you and, and uh, raised you up as an assistant and then released you. Who is that? Matt. Matt, we'll end it there. You can stand up. Uh, so uh, introduce Dan and tell us about Dan. can sit down. Grande. <laughs> well, evidently you're here because somebody brought you along beside them. Who was that? Ben and Emily. Well, you guys want to stand up? Tell us, tell us about Grant. Uh, Grant is, uh, his last name is Ostrander, and uh, if you know Ostrander family has been allied to. Yeah. And if you know that the Ostrander family uh, has been allied to our church body for a long time, we've known a lot of them. They go way back with the, the Covenant community. And uh, so Grant was at, uh, he was in Winchester uh, for the past 10 years. Um, he went away, I, I always get confused on the timeline, but he was here in Lexington in the Covenant Church, went out west, came back here. Uh, and kind of experienced a, a more radical conversion. He brought his, his wife with him from the West Coast, uh, Kendall. And uh, they were discipled for about 10 years in the Winchester Church, the Winchester Covenant Church, uh, under Steve Humble and, and uh, Bill Kamenish. And so um, his he kind of relocated to Lexington about three years ago. And... Uh, 
he knew that we had planted a new church from, or he knew about us, but he also, I think the, the Barlows were instrumental in, in them kind of settling with, with ECF. So they settled with us uh, shortly after we planted. So he came in kind of pre-discipled in a, in a like-minded body. Um, so it was just kind of a matter of time, just kind of uh, making the transition from, from there to here. Uh, he's a, he was a deacon in the Winchester Church and has carried a lot of ministry o- over the years. So um, maybe the easiest disciple I've ever made. I don't even know if I'd call him a disciple. <laughs> he, he was pre-made. But uh, yeah, so they've been with us for three years. Um, just got back from a Mexico trip with Grant. Um, he's been down to Nicaragua some with the Kaminish, uh, et cetera. And uh, it was great to get his eyes on our, on our Mexico efforts as well. So Grant and Kendall Ostrander, they have three wonderful children as well. Callaway, Ryder, and Sila. Callaway started Mars Hill this year, and she is super excited about it. <laughs> well, I've sat at the table with most of you and they had good fellowship around that table. This is just a big table tonight, and, and I hate to end the meal, um, but it always breaks down into smaller meals, and we get to share with each other. Chad, Ben, y'all have, I mean, we got them. Man. We can keep talking if we want to. Uh, do y'all have anything else that you'd like to share? Shannon, you got anything good on your heart that you would like to share? I know you have good things on your heart. Uh, do you have any you'd like to share? Say it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like. I'll say so. Yeah. I don't have a specific testimony. Well, maybe my testimony is that the spirit of testimony is is here, and um, I want to echo what Chad said that we we ought not neglect. Testimony. It's an important part of, of body life. Um, I was sitting here thinking about what, uh, I, you know, just things were racing through my mind, what I could share, and I just realized how full my heart was of everything that God's doing. And so I just want to testify that if your heart's not full, then, you know, it's like Bill John always told me in his house, if you leave this house hungry, it's your fault. <laughs> there is so much good stuff that is going on in my own church I'm constantly finding out about things that were just going on it is the, the work of the Holy Spirit and I just happen upon it, like, what this was happening this is amazing oh, like almost every day an experience like that happens and uh, so I want to thank you Kelly for bringing the word and reminding us that we we shouldn't look back and bemoan the distance between us and then because there, there is no distance in the Holy Spirit, you know, and uh, I'm just, I'm encouraged. I'm ready to go. This is going to be a good weekend. Thanks, Ben. All right. I might, I might if it gets boring, I might write, read a TCF's. Shannon uh... <laughs> <laughs> doesn't want that to happen. Come on up, Shannon. Can you hear over there? Some are saying no. The old people are saying no. (laughs) 
thought of something that I'm very grateful for is just a personal gift to our family. And I haven't really had, I feel like I haven't had a chance to say a big thank you to TCF and all the church. So uh, Chad had a sabbatical this summer. So we had about a year and a half war year warning, hey, we're gonna give you all a break in the summer of 2022. And um, it was really amazing. I don't really like to be away from the church for a long amount of time. You know, it's like, I don't like to leave my kids. I like to be together. So I didn't really think I needed, you know, I didn't necessarily feel this big need that I needed to leave town. But we went to England. All eight of us got to be there at least part of the time. It was so, such a great gift because while we were gone, the church was so well cared for. Everybody's needs were taken care of. I didn't worry for a second about, other than my mom, <laughs> had to think about her some, but everybody even took care of her and Kathy, just so we really aren't needed that much anymore, I don't think, but um, <laughs> it was so peaceful and refreshing. I was so, had so much gratitude in my heart to God, just how he was loving on us. And so many things were beautiful. It was, I just can't describe it, but it's one of the biggest and best gifts I've ever been given. Just to have those, that time with our family, um, really just, it felt like a Sabbath the whole time, just having an ongoing five week Sabbath. So thank you very much to TCF and to all of you all, because I know, you know, it's all one big family that made that possible for us to do that. So I just wanted to give a public thank you. I don't know if I've said thank you enough for that, but anyway, I was just reading in our little report from TCF. I was like, oh yeah, I got something to say thank you for. We were really blessed. I'm just going to sit right here and just come up. <laughs> I thought about sharing this earlier and I didn't, um, mainly because we had to go to a funeral visitation on the way here, so I'm already like really emotional, so I'm trying to keep it together. Uh, <clears throat> but after Shannon shared, I was like, okay, I've got to share this because it kind of goes along with what she shared. Um, many of you will probably know that we are very close with the Grissoms and Shannon is one of my go-tos, and when I'm having life crisis, she's usually one of my first phone calls. And she was in England, and I had probably my biggest life crisis that I've ever had. And I didn't want to tell her because I didn't want to ruin her Sabbath. <laughs> so I was just so blessed and covered. Um, by a lot of a younger generation of people while they were gone and we found out Patrick was sick. And just the fact that this younger generation like Brenda was talking about has grown up and is now covering us. And Many times when I've about had a breakdown, I'm going to somebody who's 20 years younger than me and they're holding me up. And 
that is such an encouragement. And when I get discouraged about, you know, this faction of people fighting about something or this disagreement going on, um, I'm encouraged because right outside my window is Morgan and Audrey. And I see how God is growing and moving in them. And I look at my home group and I have young couples who are striving to know God in a different way. And even though it's hard and things are difficult sometimes with their kids or in their marriages, that they're still coming forward and asking um, for God's help and seeking those things out. So um, I just want to say thank you to the many people who prayed for us this year. And thank you for the younger generation for supporting us old people <laughs> as things happen to us. So I'm just very thankful for that. Amen. Erica, that, that's hard for me because I, because I still consider you the younger generation. <laughs> <laughs> No, this is awesome. I'll, this testimony stuff is great. I agree with Ben and Chad on that. <clears throat> um, one practical thought I have is throughout this week, make it a um, commit to share something that's happened in your life this year with people. When you have that small conversation time, do it three times before the weekend's over so that people can hear what God is doing in your life. You may not have something to come up here and talk about, but do it in your little conversations or redeem those conversation times. I also wanted to, man, Kelly, thank you. Uh, that was awesome. Um, when, I was, when we were worshiping, I was thinking about the section of scripture in Matthew 11, where Jesus asked everybody about John the Baptist. And he says, what did you come out here for? And there's two things he says. He says, did you come out here to see a reed that's shaking in the wind? Or he says, did you come out here to see a guy that was dressed up in nice clothes? He says, no, you did not. You came to hear a prophet. I believe that what you spoke tonight, the heart of what you spoke tonight, it wasn't a reed in the wind. It wasn't you know, what the world is thinking right now. It wasn't fear. And it didn't come from wealth and the pursuit of this world. It came from heaven. And it is that the church is the powerful means by which God is going to accomplish his will in the earth. And we, and we stand on that because it is prophecy and it is true. And, you know, when you were talking about the world, you know, I... There's an interesting contrast that's going on right now. I don't know if you guys know this, but somewhere in Switzerland right now, like the most powerful economic people in the world have all come together. It's this place called Davos. They're all talking about economic things and have lots of money, lots of power. And you know who one of the most prominent people at that <clears throat> gathering is? It's a child named Greta Thunberg. It is a fearful young child who is warning the entire 
you know, big time economic movers across the world, that this world that we live in is about to fall apart. And it's a fearful message that the leaders of this world are going to hear. But at this conference this weekend, Hallelujah. the word of God is going out and it's the exact opposite that we do uh-huh. not. We don't look over the last two years in COVID and maybe you've been one of those people in that room who said the church needs to do this or the church is weak now. The truth, the prophetic truth of God is the church is exactly what God has made it to be and intended it to be. Yeah. And it is powerful. And each one of us needs to receive that message. Uh-huh. The yes. church is not weak. God is not looking away from the church in this time, but it is powerful and strong. And we can be the people of God here and now to be a church. Amen. So thank you for sharing that. Some of what we've been uh, sharing about hearing, praising the Lord for. Let's sum it up by singing.
Lord, may the word of your power that upholds the universe, uh, Lord, be living and active among us. Knit our hearts together, Lord, around who you are and what you're doing in our day. Lord, so that the world can see you, so the world can realize that you are alive, as you are on the throne, and as you are making all things new, even now. Bless you. We only have a few short hours this weekend, so uh, make good use of it. Uh, plan tonight uh, about who you're going to have breakfast with in the morning. Meet them somewhere and uh, share those testimonies. And then we start here promptly at 9 o'clock and uh, make sure over this weekend you sanctify yourself because tomorrow the Lord is going to do wonders among you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you and uh, you bless somebody else. Amen.